few weeks ago, I started this series on the seven churches spoken of in the early part of the book of Revelation. The Apostle John is the one who's written this. Obviously, the main author is the Holy Spirit. We've looked at several different churches, the Church of Ephesus. Do you remember what the problem was with the Church of Ephesus? They had right doctrine, but they left their first love. Right. Now, the Church of Smyrna was actually a commendable church. There's no criticisms or rebuke to that particular church. I guess we could say, in some respects, it would be a model church. Then we look recently at the Church of Pergamum, or sometimes called the Church of Pergamus, and this church was a compromising church. We're going to look at another church that was compromising, only I think maybe if we use a terminology some of you are familiar with, steroids, this was a compromising church on steroids, right? It was really had some very critical problems. And I want to actually preach a message that I would probably presume that will not be popular in our culture. And if we're in an era where rotten tomatoes, rotten eggs would be thrown at, I'd probably have a whole lot of them thrown at me after a message like this. Please, if you brought some rotten apples, rotten whatever it is, tomatoes, eggs, whatever, don't throw them at me, please. All right, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to verse 29, and I've entitled the message, The Devastation of Sin. The Devastation of Sin. So would you follow along with me as I read this passage of Scripture? Sobering passage for sure. And beginning in verse 18, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things set the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce, seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds." And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I have received of my Father, 
and I will give him the morning star, and he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to uh, listen. Allow your Spirit to speak to our hearts. And although some of the things that are going to be mentioned in this message are hard, may we know that they come from you. I know I'm only an instrument to bring this forth, a sinner saved by grace. But I pray that I be an instrument by your Holy Spirit to speak to hearts that are here. Please, dear God, help us to understand the devastation of sin and by your grace and mercy, keep it out of our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't need to tell you this, but sin never brings good. No matter what form it comes in, no matter what quantity it's measured out in, sin was destroying the church located in the city called Thyatira, and sin will destroy you, and it even can destroy a church like Victory Baptist Church. Oh, sin is devastating. There's no question about that. Uh, the writer of James says these words, Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Now, being in ministry for uh, quite some time, uh, involved with people, uh, I have watched, witnessed, observed, my wife as well, the devastating effect of people's lives in sin. It's heart-wrenching to see people who, in some cases, know better, fall headlong into the pathway of sin. And uh, I could tell you of some that right now are in that situation where they've been warned, admonished, and they're just, they're headed right, in many respects, either toward the chastening of the Lord, if they're a believer, or they're headed in the direction of a crisis eternity in hell. And it's terrible. Some of these people we know, we've known for a long period of time. Sin is terrible. Do I need to remind you that psych wards, drug rehabs, counseling centers, homeless shelters, wars, prisons, criminal courts, orphanages, juvenile detention centers, growing list of sex offenders, attempted suicides and suicides are plaguing our nation because of sin. It's, it's, just, it's just horrific what's going on. Um, like the bad turbulence of a plane. Have you ever flown in a plane where there's turbulence? I don't know if anybody says, I hope we have a really, a really fun ride on this plane and have a whole lot of turbulence. Uh, I've been on a few. I remember my wife and I, I think my wife was with me at the time, we're flying up from Florida, and we hit storms the entire way up. And the plane, the airplane was shaking, shaking, all the... Stewards or stewardesses had to be seated, strapped in. Things were shaking. I can remember one time, lady would scream out every time the thing would shake. Ah! Finally, one man's, you know, I mean, it was, it was scary. One man finally said, 
would you shut up? And I got quiet for a little bit. It's not a fun thing to do. I mean, I'm not inclined to amusement parks, but I probably would be more inclined to go in an amusement park to be in, a, in turbulence in a plane. Uh, I have joked sometimes when I've interacted with people that really didn't know me that really well, and they asked me, I didn't tell them I was a pastor, but they asked me what I did, what was my job, what was my profession. I said, well, uh, before I say this, I just want you to know I have really good job security. And I, oh, what's that? I said, I'm a pastor. I have a lot of sinners I have to deal with. And they usually kind of laugh and joke about that. And they say, oh, yeah, that's true, that's true. But we are living in a world that's filled with wickedness, filled with sin. It's not going to get any better. Not on this side until millennial kingdom or until we go to heaven. Well, it was in the city of Thyatira that there was a woman by the name of Lydia and her family who were saved and baptized. You want to read a little of the history of that? You can go back to Acts chapter 16. So it had a wonderful beginning. There's no question about it. Marvelous. We don't know a whole lot about the background other than the fact that this uh, woman who apparently was rather elite uh, came to Christ. The church was established. Sadly, though, some decades later, another woman by the name of Jezebel had an, influential, had an influential teaching position in the church and was leading others into evil. Now, I don't have time to get into this, but it is possible that this woman is symbolic of the Old Testament woman named Jezebel. Now, there's questions about whether this was uh, actually a symbolic name. He didn't actually name the person himself, but everybody would have known who that was. Was this her actual name? I don't know for sure about that. But his, John refers to as Jezebel. We do know something about the Jezebel of the Old Testament. Uh, Jezebel of the Old Testament was a pagan Phoenician wife of wicked Ahab. She tried to get northern Israel to worship Baal, and engage in immorality and magical practices and idolatry to the extreme. Now, this Jezebel mentioned in this particular book of Revelation was also very evil. Two different people, but very similar insofar as their character is concerned. Here's kind of the problem. The church was tolerant of this woman, tolerant of this behavior, and brought the severe rebuke of the Lord. Here's a message to the church, and also to an individual, and to us as well. One of the catch words for day, today is tolerance, and if you're not tolerant, you're not loving. Well, there is certain legitimacy to tolerance, but never tolerance for evil. We know that it's extremely dangerous for anyone to allow, to cultivate sinfulness in their life. And so my call to you is put in the form of a proposition, never tolerate sin in your life. Never tolerate sin in your life. 
Now we might want to ask the question why, and I think you probably already know a whole bunch of reasons why, but first of all, sin is not overlooked by Jesus Christ. This is emphasized by the description of Christ, and you'll see the expression, uh, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire. Now there's not elaboration here, but if you did some cross-references, you'd find out this expression was used often of God being able to see things, and he's going to judge it. There's also an expression used, he is now not referred to as the son of man, but the son of God, emphasizing his deity. But there's another statement that's made in the scripture in verse 23 that clearly gives us an idea that sin is not overlooked by Jesus, Jesus Christ. And the expression is used here, the statement is made, I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. Never think for a moment that you can hide your sin from Jesus Christ. Has anybody seen the recent video of that very young toddler who was in a crib and somehow or other got out of the crib? Did anybody else see that video? All right, let me tell you about it. I might not get all the details right. It was really absolutely amazing. But here's this young toddler who's in a crib, and in this crib, apparently this young toddler wants to get out, but there's no way he can get out the way that crib is situated. So somehow or other, he begins to shake the crib. He shakes it so violently, it's working its way over and moving across the room, inch by inch, over to where a table is or a chest of drawers is. And when it gets over against there, this young toddler jumps over the side onto that uh, table and is able to get off. Now, here's the thing. When he gets off, he takes his blanket, what he has, and he takes the crib and he pushes it back into the place it was before. And then he smugly walks out of the room with his blanket, I'm free at last, or whatever. Well, his parents apparently had seen this pattern. We don't know details about this. And they had put a video camera in the room. And unbeknownst to him, this camera's playing so they can figure out how did this Houdini get out of this? Now, I'm saying some of these things rather facetiously, but keep this in mind. God doesn't have to put a video camera into our lives for him to see what's going on. Sin can be seen by God. I am he that searcheth the reins and the hearts. Our society now is not just hiding sin, but they're celebrating sin. Isn't it sad? The celebration is even in the U.S. Capitol of times. Our justice system. Friends, parents, movies, entertainment industry is absorbed with all kinds of sin, whether it be public or whether it be private, whatever. But I can tell you this, Jesus sees it all. He observes your personal life. 
You can hide it from me. You can hide it from your spouse. But you can't hide it from Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You need to stay away from sin. And always keep this in mind. Jesus sees what we're doing. Now I want you to see another thought that flows from this passage of scripture. Sin overshadows the good that you do. You see, the list of good that this church in Thyatira, uh, the things that they were doing, is rather impressive, and it's rather extensive. He talks about their love, their charity, their service, their faith, their patience, which idea of endurance, their works, even increasing in works. I mean, this is an impressive list. But guess what's most in focus in the remainder of the passage of Scripture? The sin is in focus. And I put this down in your notes. The sin is what is most in focus in verses 20 through 23. Now, I don't know if young people have report cards any longer. You know, no, no student left behind. Maybe they don't need the report cards. I don't know. But it used to be this, where a child would say, when they came home with a report card, and all A's and B's on there, but there was one D, and the child would sometimes say, a young person would say, all my parents saw was the D. They didn't look at all the A's and B's that I had. Have you ever had that where the focus was just on the bad grade rather than the good grades? Or maybe they did mention, wow, it's nice to see the A's and B's. Mom, did you see the A's and B's? I saw and go right on to why did you have a D? What happened? You know. The focus oftentimes is on the thing that stands out the wrong. Uh, I don't know if there's anybody here. I guess we could say there's some people who have. Some ladies here will have either white skirt, white dress, or white blouse, or something like that. All right. So you have a white blouse, white skirt. Suppose on the way to Victory Baptist Church, you had a cup of coffee. You're driving along, and you spill a little bit of the coffee on that white blouse of yours, or white skirt. Um... And you, with franticness, say, I can't go like this. I, I, there's no way. I, I, how can I go there? People want to see it. And your husband says to you, what's the big deal? Most of your skirt is white. It's just a little couple drops on there. You wouldn't pay attention to your husband. I won't say what you might say to him. I only will think that. But you know the attention goes on that spot. Now there's something about sin that it has a way of, even though there might be a lot of good, like that white, sin is what takes the emphasis. Sin is what takes the priority. And in this case, here these people are doing many things that we would look at it, that, that's a, that looks like really good. But the sin comes into focus. 
When you sin, what happens to all the good you have done? Well, that's a serious thought. Sin overshadows the good that you do. I want you to see something else, and that is sin is infectious. We could use maybe another word, contagious. We, uh, we've lived it through a very dark era of so-called contagious virus, if that's indeed what it is. I thought most of this stuff was past and went to a doctor's office just recently and the receptionist came out with one of those thermometers and said, I'm sorry, I have to take your temperature. And I know one time when this was done, I said, well, it's not over 107 degrees, so I don't think you have to worry about that. So it better not be over 107 degrees. But I thought, wait a second. Why are they doing that? Well, we understand that there are some kinds of problems that we would call infectious diseases, and we have to be very careful about that. Well, when it comes to sin, sin is very contagious. It's very infectious. And here is this woman by the name of Jezebel who taught and seduced others into sin. There are two expressions that are used here. One, it's pretty clear to us, that she seduced others to commit fornication. That was clearly a violation of the moral law of God. But there also was another area which she was leading, influencing people in the church into sin, and that was eating things sacrificed to idols. Now that seems like maybe a little far removed from us because we are not involved directly in idol worship at this particular time, though, when individuals would be eating the things sacrificed to idols, it had more connotation to it than just being ceremonially unclean. It had moral implications because when you ate that food in these feasts, you were acknowledging the fact that the food had come from this heathen, pagan God. So here we have this woman who is involved in the church. This is not primarily an external problem. This is an internal problem of somebody within the church, a church that was started on right doctrine, a lot of good things going for it. But this particular woman was leading other people astray. Now, in the church, excuse me, in the city of Thyatira, they had many trade guilds. Now, the trade guilds had specialty and perhaps tanning hides, different kinds of things, maybe actually making idols. The list could be rather broad if we looked at that, but these trade guilds, would hold pagan feast in dedication to a pagan deity. And anybody who came to these meals, they were expected to participate, not just in the meal itself, but some of the other things that were going on as well. We don't know this dogmatically. You can't say this dogmatically. Some think that maybe this Jezebel was a leader of the Nicol. Nicolaitan movement, 
perhaps maybe not directly, but certainly very similar to that movement. She called herself a prophetess, claiming to have special revelation from God. Does that sound similar to many of the cults where people think that they have special revelation from God? This was, this was a common problem in the New Testament, and it's still going on today, where somebody identifies to a certain extent with Christianity, but then they bring worldly philosophies and ideologies together, bring them together, and the terminology is called syncretism. But it's, 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 it's bad, real bad. The church was tolerating her. They tolerated this woman in their midst, who was, and their toleration of her was a major compromise. You allow her to teach. Now, I guess we just make a few simple applications. There is the constant temptation, not just for individuals, but constant temptation for churches to align themselves with unbelievers, worldly methodologies, worldly entertainment, worldly philosophies. Now hold your seats if you, if you have some questions there for I bring an example onto this. Please feel free to ask me about this later. I'll tell you one thing that's entered into the churches and Christian colleges and so on. It's just like a storm hit, our, hit the evangelical world in America uh, not too long ago, maybe in the last decade, perhaps a little bit earlier than that, called Jesus Calling. It is one of the most dangerous movements in modern times in evangelical, evangelical churches and many Christians have not a clue what was going on. And the background to this is steeped in Eastern mysticism, continual revelation by God, very mystical. It's just one example. If I had time, I could give you a number of different examples of the same kind of things that are going on today. Even issues related to gender and our culture going on. You say, that's way out there. Rejection of biblical marriage of one man with one woman. You say, that's way out there. I'm telling you, it's entering into evangelical churches. How could that be? Because the devil has a sly way of saying things that just... It's just a gradual thing. And if you are not discerning, you could fall into that trap as well. I'm going to say the average fish is rather undiscerning when it comes to a worm hanging in, hanging in front of them. And the worms taste good, initially taste good, and says, after just a very brief time, says, something's wrong with this worm. And he can't get that worm disconnected. Now that just gives you just a little picture. That's what sin is like. Hard to get out of it once you're in it. So here is the issue. The church at Thyatira, even though not all the people were going to say, not all the people were totally engrossed in the sin, 
But the church apparently was saying, it's okay if she's teaching. After all, she calls herself a prophetess. She says she's getting this revelation from God. Bad problem. Let's move on to the next one. Sin can be rejected by repentance. Here's a word not too popular today. Is there any hope? Was there any hope for Jezebel or those who were following her? Is there any hope for the church in Thyatira? Well, God offers opportunities for repentance, and he, John, an inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says these words, and I, speaking about Jesus, gave her space to repent. In other words, he gave this woman sufficient time to repent. Now, how did this occur? We can speculate. Maybe some have thought it could have been even the Apostle John was involved in this because he lived in this particular region. It could have been the pastor. It could have been the leaders in the church. I don't know exactly how, but certainly the Holy Spirit would be involved in this. And we have this expression that God offers opportunities for repentance. Thank God. He's the God of the second chances. Aren't you glad that he is? So he gives her a chance to repent. And that leads me to say this. You can choose to repent. It's not something you're forced into. You can choose to repent. In this case, this woman refused to repent. And she did not repent. She didn't have a desire or an aspiration to repent. Whatever. I won't share with you details for sure, but I've sat with people who profess to be Christians, claim to be Christians, who are going the wrong direction. They're headed in the direction of sin. They were living in sin. Certainly prayed for them. Wanted to make sure I had the information correct. As a pastor, it became a certain measure of responsibility to confront those individuals as uncomfortable it was. And I sat down with more than one Christian who was going astray, who knew better, and pled with them with tears, literal tears, please, please, would you turn from this sin? And I remember, I remember one man who said very clearly he was involved in immorality, had been married, was married to somebody for years, and he literally shook in front of me and was perspiring profusely and said, no, I'm not ready to do that right now. Young lady, 20 or 21 years old, who I fully believe that she was safe from all I can gather. And she was going the wrong way. Her parents wanted me to talk, talk to her. And I said to her, I said, please, don't go this way. You know, God's going to catch up with you and chasten you. I know that. I know that. I just want to sow my wild oats was the expression she used. I just want... I just want to live my life for a while like this. And, and then maybe I'll make some changes. 
I pled with her. It was heartbreaking because she said, no, I'm not ready to do that. Within a year and a half, I found out she had a minor surgery. She died on the operating table. I, just as I think about it, just, she's a wonderful, lovely young lady. Parents loved her and wanted her best. You can be given the choice of repentance and you can give, be given those opportunities again and again, but even God will not make you or force you to repent. It's possible there's somebody here listening to my voice or perhaps you're listening online and you're entertaining some sin in your life and you know it is wrong. It's not an ignorance. You know it's wrong. Your parents have taught you differently than that. You know what the moral standards are, what God's word says. You're bothered by it, but you keep pushing it aside, rationalizing it, blame shifting, who knows what. God's very patient. And he may do this multiple times, maybe not just two or three times, multiple times. And you can just keep resisting. But you can repent. You can make the choice by the grace of God to repent of wrongdoing. She had that opportunity and refused. I go now to the next point, and that is sin invites God's chastening. Verses 22 and 23 speaks about this. I know it's rather graphic, but... This woman, from what we can understand, we are literalist. Not that the Bible doesn't use symbolic language at times, but this woman who was involved in a common practice in the heathen pagan cultures of immoral relationships with even their own students. God says, I'm going to punish her. The same place where she had pleasure now is going to be a place of pain. How that transpired, I don't know exactly. All I know is it doesn't sound too good. Sin was finished, it brings forth death. He says, I, if they don't repent, I'll kill her children. I, I will. I say, God would do that? Oh yes, he will. It's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. He that Harden his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Now, I'll elaborate just a little bit here. If you're a child of God, you truly are a born-again child of God, you will not be able to habitually live in sin without God's chastening hand upon your life. He'll chasten you by maybe starting out with the joy is gone, the peace is gone, other things circumstantially start going really awry and God's trying to get your attention. He's knocking you over the head with a heavenly baseball bat, as somebody said. But nevertheless, he's, he's trying to get your attention. But you'll get chastened. The Bible speaks of this in Hebrews chapter 12. If you're one of God's children, you'll be chastened. You won't lose your salvation, but God's going to, because he loves you, They'll try to nudge you back into line again. If you're a person who just professes salvation, 
you don't have Jesus Christ truly as your Savior, obviously there is a stronger terminology that is used, and I realize that there's some crossovers here, but the idea is that judgment could come very quickly and very suddenly. I bring back to your attention uh, at least a reminder in Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, who were not truthful about their financial resources. And God struck, struck both Ananias and Sapphira dead because of what they had done. I come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll allude to this in a few moments in the communion service. There were those who were mixing the fellowship of the Lord's table with carnality, fighting and divisions. And there were many Christians in the church of Corinth who were dying as a result of it. Sin invites God's chastening. But, thank God, the person repents, there can be wonderful mercy. Sin can be avoided by steadfastness. And verses 24 through the end of the chapter talks about this. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, in other words, they haven't followed Jezebel's teaching, and have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you no other burden. A little complex language here, basically this. Uh, you can avoid the painful chasing or judgment of God by just simply staying away from sin, staying steadfast in the truth of the word of God. You see, this is what brings God's approval, steadfastness. Not that he is not a gracious God. He certainly can forgive us, absolutely can but oftentimes the consequences of sin are far-reaching and affect other people as well, like they did in this particular situation. Sin can be avoided by steadfastness. This is what will bring God's reward. And he alludes to that by some of the expressions that are used toward the end when he talks about this, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as vessels of potter shall be spoken. Uh, he speaks about this, I should say, verse 26. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him I will give power of the nations. Verse 28, and I will give him the morning star, some association maybe with reigning with Christ. But they're all positive things. For the one who stays true, if you've sinned, ask God to forgive you, but get back up and stay steadfast. Never tolerate sin in your life. Here's just a few cautions, lessons maybe. You see, there are many, many, many who claim to know the truth, but are deceivers, they're liars. Now, I'm not saying every single person you talk to is a deceiver or liar who claims to be a prophet of God or whatever. But I'm telling you what, you ought to be discerning. You better be discerning because you may be caught up in some things, maybe not exactly the same sins that Jezebel did, but you can get led astray. Be discerning and be willing to stand against, not tolerate sin in your life personally, nor as a church. Make a comment here. I'm convinced the Bible teaches that there is a place 
for a church to actually have to exercise discipline publicly upon a person who resists the truth of the word of God. Now that's, I've gone through some of these things and they are, I'd rather actually do a funeral of these, but I know there's an obligation there. Now thank God we're not in a situation, I don't know any situation here, Victory Baptist churches at, at this, but I know that there have been churches who put into practices and they've got such criticism from some professing Christians in the church that those members of the church said, I'm not going to go back to that church again because I think I should be able to keep fellowshipping with a professing believer because they're brother in Christ. When 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says, if there is a professing believer who is involved in these type of sins, you are supposed to stay away from them. Not to even have fellowship with them as if everything is just fine. That's church discipline. Now it's the last step one takes. And of course, God can work after that. And I've seen some cases where the discipline turned around, the person got right with God and came back and became reunited with the believers. But this is where the rubber meets the road. What if, what if, and I know it's hypothetical, a member of Victory Baptist Church was teaching the wrong thing, was involved in sin, whether in leadership or not, and the pastor of the church or the leadership would have to say, we have to confront this. They confronted the individual and they said, the individual refused to repent of it. And they had to then exercise church discipline where that person could no longer be a member of the church. Here is a church that should have disciplined this lady when she was unwilling to repent. And God has some very sobering remarks to you, remarks to her, and certainly to the church as well. I'm not going to put up with this toleration of sin. I gave time, but nothing happened. And it's very highly likely that there are churches that you may have had contact with in the past, you may even know now, that God has given them warnings and they have refused to follow what God wants. Don't you be that way. Keep sin out of your life. Stand firm. Yes, in love, but stand firm for the truth of God's word. Sin destroys. It matters not whether it's small or whether it's large. It destroys. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death, not just physical death, but death of relationships, shame, embarrassment, and eventually either the chastening of God, the judgment of God. Now, Christians... You know, you say, well, I'm not doing anything terrible like this lady, man. She's bad, really bad. I'm not doing anything like that. But if you have a bad attitude to somebody from in your family, you're holding a grudge, somebody you say, I love them, I'm just not going to forgive them. Well, I forgive them, I'm not going to forget it. 
you're kind of like maybe the guy who was talking to his friend. He said, he said, oh, struggles, he said. My wife is so historical. And his friend said to him, historical? You mean hysterical? No, no, no. No, no, no. I mean historical, not hysterical. She loves to dig up the past. Now, I don't know what it might be. Sins of the spirit, jealousy, you won't get problems taken care of with another believer, unforgiveness, bad attitude, you can't stand the pastor's tie. I don't know what it might be. But whatever the sin is, get it out of your life. Ask God to forgive you of that sin. We, in a few moments, are going to the Lord's table. We call the communion service. And the communion service is symbolic of our fellowship with the Lord. And if our heart isn't right, it's mockery if we take it. Now, the Lord never tells us we have to be perfect before we take it. But if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. I make sure I get it out of my way. I do anything to do that. And I'm going to encourage you, if you have some sin in your life, right where you are, ask God to forgive you. Has something to do with somebody else, and you need to get that taken care of, you get that taken care of as well. Sin wrecks, sin destroys, separates you from fellowship with a wonderful, gracious God. Let's keep it out. Heavenly Father, these are sobering moments uh, to talk about this, but what do we all need to hear? Our whole culture and society is just washed away with. A tsunami of toleration of sin. And please, dear God, help us. Help us. We need your grace. I need your grace. Thank you for how you're patient with us. And I do pray, I dear God, I do pray that for someone here that your spirit is working very specifically in their life and they need to come before you, find forgiveness, restoration, repentance. Please, dear God. May they yield to you and not resist like this woman spoken about in, in the name of Jezebel. If there's someone who's come and has never given their heart to you in salvation, please, dear God, may your spirit work and may they yield to you and receive this wonderful salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed just for a moment. The message, I think, is rather simple. Very basic. I can say it's easy. Does God's spirit work in your life where you know you need to ask God to forgive you of sin? And you're just kind of holding on to that and now you are knowing you need to do business with God. I'll not call your name out. This is a, not a time of confession. It's not that. But you know there's a prayer need there. Could I pray for you? Just simply put your hand up, put it back down again. Say, Pastor, we're praying for me. There's a need I have. Okay, I see that hand. Someone else... God's spirit work in your heart. There's an area you know you need to get that taken care of before the Lord. And you want God to forgive you of that. And you want to be restored back to him again. Fellowship. Is there someone like that? Someone else? Here today, do you know for sure that Jesus has saved you? He's forgiven you. You're on your way to heaven. You have a Bible reason for that. 
Have you accepted Jesus into your life? Could I pray for you? Would you simply raise your hand up, hand up, put your hand up and say, would you pray for me? I want to be sure that I'm saved. Okay, see your hand. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Thank you for your honesty. And either where you're at, if you're a believer and you know that, you can ask God to forgive you and, and, and he will forgive you. What Maybe where you're going astray, you're here and you're not sure that you're, you're a child of God, you can pray prayer something like this from your heart to God. He'll hear you. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that. I deserve you to judge me for that sin. And I, I don't want that. I'm turning from that sin. And if you, I want you to save me, forgive me my sin. And I'm giving you my heart right now. You can pray that. You can thank God. He hears you. He knows that. Please, dear God, for these who have had indication by raising hands and needs, only pray that you encourage them, believer, somebody maybe not sure they're saved, they'd have that wonderful salvation you've promised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now would you take your hymnal please and we're going to